Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. We are recording. And I'm actually sitting up in the express office and um, just watching the cars pour by. It's bigger. It's actually, yeah, last night I was here with uh, Brian Boyhan and we just watched the the endless stream. And, you know, that's a typical summer look, but, you know, it was May, early May. So um, in a way, that's going to be what we're talking about. It's May going into June. So that's uh, Bill Sutton there at the top of the podcast. How you, Bill? Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And Brendan O'Reilly's here with us today. Hi, Brendan. Hi, everybody. I'm Brendan. I am the deputy managing editor. And uh, my name is Annette Hinkle. I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is Brian Boyhan. And what, what do we call you now? A former editor and publisher of the Sag Harbor Express. But for some reason, he's still working at the Sag Harbor Express in a way. So we're both sitting up here in the office today. And um, and we thought it would be an interesting week to just sort of look ahead and and take the temperature of what we think might be coming in terms of the season. And we've heard some anecdotal um, reports that people feel like this is the first year since COVID in 2020 that things are back in full stream, meaning that more, you know, maybe the, the events that had been abbreviated or limited capacity or fewer events this is just on my end as the arts and living editor um do feel like they're kind of ramping back up and coming up but brian is in the process of putting together the express summer magazine so we thought that he probably is the one that has the best look at what's coming up and that we would throw him in here so so any thoughts from you guys on uh approaching season well i would say in 2022 we saw a big comeback for events that have been canceled in 2020 2021 but there were organizations that they were being careful and they knew you know hey we usually take a year to plan this event now that things have opened up again we only have like six months to plan so instead of trying to throw it together at the last minute let's just postpone till 2023 so i think this is really the year where everything's come rolling back. Sure, there were some events that did not even survive COVID, but largely we're going to see everything that had been around come back and we're going to see a lot of new things. So I think Brendan makes a good point in that it takes so long to plan some of these events that um, in previous couple of years, it was really hard to commit to an event in February if you didn't know what the ultimate events were going to be presented in July and August if the COVID rules were changing so much. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. This is probably the first year we've seen since 2019 when there aren't um, likely to be any restrictions in capacity or um, another um, flare up of the virus. So good point. Knock on wood. Uh, the, uh, you, you were mentioning the barometer, the, the traffic out on the street before. There's usually a couple of barometers to see how the season is going to be or how it's playing out. One is you can actually look from the window of the express uh, newsroom up here in the second floor over Division Street. 
And uh, like a thermometer, uh, the amount of, uh, of, of vehicles going up, if it's, as say, as far as the hardware store, well, you're, you're starting to develop a fever. And then if it goes up as far as what Stella Maris used to be or the Catholic Church, well, there's another few degrees that it goes up. So we were actually able to literally take the temperature of the summer season uh, sitting up here in the express office. Uh, and then the other uh, barometer that we had, and this was usually mid-season, and uh, and Pat Coles, who was the uh, former um, owner of the Express, and I would sometimes go to lunch uh, down by um, uh, the docks down here, and uh, we would judge the um, uh, the health of the summer season by the size of the uh, boats that were coming in. Uh, if they were wow. really boats, and there were many of them, it was a good season. Of course, then I remember after the 2008 crash, how we had lots of boats showing up, but they tended to be the ones that were cut loose and abandoned by people that didn't want to pay yeah. for them anymore. Remember? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was, a, that was a really interesting side effect of that crash was the, all of the unmarked boats that were washing up on like North Haven and stuff <laughs> like that. Wow. Yeah. not funny? Well, I don't have any boats to look at, but I was, we were, were recording this on a, on a Friday and I was at a West Hampton beach village board meeting on a, uh, last last night, which was a, a Thursday, and I took a ride before the meeting um, down Main Street in West Hampton Beach. And for a um, for a Thursday night pre pre Memorial Day, it was uh, it was pretty much banging. I mean, I remember years I lived for for over twenty years in West Hampton Beach, and you know the the, the village would kind of die out for for several months, and you didn't see a lot of activity until you know, until at least Memorial Day, and then it would uh, really pick up. But it's just, um, it's going full strength now. Do you guys get a, um, a further west? Do you tend to get uh, an earlier rush on um, uh, summer people out there than uh, we might uh, out here in the wilds of Sag Harbor? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think, you know, over the years, there, there's there's just a much stronger year-round population of, of people living in the area so it's not it, it's not a, a quote-unquote commuter population coming in for the summer but I, I think you know people so so you'll see people who are, are living in the area coming out you know maybe earlier on the on the main street and get grabbing grabbing dinner or going into some of the shops and stuff you know, I uh, uh, I hadn't been to West Hampton for quite a while, and I went up last year for the first time uh, and saw the work that had been done up there on Main Street. And I think it looks sensational. Um, do you notice that West Hampton has uh, uh, has gotten busier as a result of it? Uh, is there more activity there? Is yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's just it's just really. I mean, I think it was always pretty busy in the summer, but I mean, it just blossomed. I think it has um, their their attention and in, in, in talking to, you know, to, um, you know, village board members and stuff, their intention um, was was certainly to help make it a destination, um, you know, village, which maybe it wasn't as much as, as say, Sag Harbor or, or, or East Hampton or even in Southampton. Um but but yeah, I, I think that um, since they since they did the revitalization work, um, you know, I guess that's a couple of years now. It's it's uh, really picked up. Um, and I think you see. I just I'll note that you know I mean silver linings from from COVID 
is West Hampton Beach really adopted the outdoor dining thing during COVID, and they've since made that permanent. Um, it, it used to be you couldn't, you, you were very restricted in getting outdoor dining permits pre-COVID, but they saw what a success that was and, and you know, what a nice feature, you know, particularly combined with the revitalization there to to have these restaurants having tables out on on the the wider sidewalks and they actually that was part of the planning with the revitalization was to make the sidewalks a little wider um to allow for more outdoor dining and you've got almost every restaurant i think in that main street area that's got at least a few tables outside and people eating outside and that just makes the whole main street look more vibrant I, I met with the uh, West Hampton Beach Performing Arts Center folks a couple weeks ago, and um, I also feel like that that village in particular has been very um, directed in really working together. You know, I I, th yeah. I get the sense there's a lot of conversation between the Performing Arts Center and maybe the Chamber of Commerce and the business owners and the elected officials. So it feels like they're all kind of working toward a cohesive whole. You know, rather than, oh, we're doing this, so we don't know what you're doing. And, you know, I feel like so much yeah. of what happens on our main streets is kind of done in isolation. You know, people make decisions and then you find out that the two big arts organizations have their galas on the same night and everybody's not happy about that, you know. Um, but I just I just feel like West Hampton is really it just you just has the feel of a community that's worked together to kind of forge a direction. Yeah, I can I can only speak for, you know, I can't speak for, but I can only speak about the mayor and, and the village board. And they are very, um, very pro-business. They they realize that, you know, that the business owners have a few months to um, you know, to to make that, not to get them through, you know, the rest of the year. And and I think that they um from what I've seen, they bend over backwards to make sure that um, you know, permits are are approved. I mean, certainly they tweak permits and stuff, but um, but they make sure that all goes through and, and you're, you, I, I go to village board meetings and you're constantly seeing business owners and chamber of commerce in the village board meetings. And they have, it's, it's a, it's a good relationship. Like you said, and they have nice, they have good conversations and, um, it's, it's, I think sometimes you see, you know, you see municipalities where, where a board will, will kind of take on an obstructionist role. I, I've never seen that in West Hampton beach. It's always how can we make this work? How can we help you to, to make this work? So can I ask a question about the businesses in West Hampton Beach? Do you find, are they are they still largely mom and pops? Are you getting some larger chains or chains from outside the, the area? That's what I'm really curious about that. Like what sorts of businesses are maybe moving in? Are we seeing a shift um, in the types of businesses that are choosing to set up on the East End? I think you're still seeing a lot of real estate offices. I don't know that that'll ever change. That's uh -huh. a bunch of them. I think with the restaurants, what you're seeing is is a lot of the restaurants were all very local. And now you see, um, I see restaurant owners that have, I'm going to call them like a local conglomerate that have restaurants in Southampton and um, and Sag Harbor and, um, you know, moving into West Hampton Beach as well with with an outlet there. Um, I don't I don't see a lot of. Um, I don't see a lot of like the city retail stuff that you see in, in, in East Hampton or, or some of those businesses that are not moving into Sag Harbor. So yeah, I think it's, it's all fairly local owned stuff. Right. Are the, um, 
other than West Hampton, uh, the notion of outdoor dining, which I think is really kind of like this herald of summer, uh, have any of the other towns gone back or pulled back on uh, outdoor dining or have they all drunk the Kool-Aid and, uh, and now uh, feel that outdoor dining is a, is, a, is a good thing and we should just keep it established? As far as I've seen, everybody's renewed it on a seasonal basis if they haven't just made it a permanent as a right thing for restaurants to be able to do. People just loved it so much. I remember back when Southampton first introduced outdoor dining going on more than 10, 10 years ago, uh, you know, it had to be tables that basically butted up against the side of the building. That was how much sidewalk you could use. But then during the pandemic, they said, well, you could use the entire sidewalk from the side of your building to the street. And it really added so much vibrancy to the village. And it made it that much more special to have a meal out at a restaurant during the summer rather than having that same meal at home. And once you saw the success, why would anybody go back on that? Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. most of the municipalities have basically embraced it and are allowing it to go forward now that the pandemic is not as big an issue in sidewalk dining. I think they would be hard pressed uh, to go once the genie's out of the bottle. I think uh, most municipalities would be very hard pressed to. But I, I so what's interesting and, um, uh, and maybe you can answer this. Uh, allowing outdoor dining increased the number of seats that restaurants have. So restaurants love no. the idea. No, it doesn't. No. No. You, 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 were, you were supposed to you were supposed to offset seats inside the restaurant. So so the and, you know in, in West Hampton Beach the permits if you have a an outdoor dining dining permit for you know um three three tables with four chairs you're supposed to 12 take 12 seats away from from the indoor and and some of that is is um i mean it's county restrictions it has to do with um you know with water flow sewer flow and and all that so you have that that number there the other issue that comes into play is um you know is sla and alcohol um and and how that works with outdoor dining i think you have to have a special application with with the uh, the state liquor authority if you're going to be serving alcohol outside so I don't know if uh, we want to talk about this, but what about the rat population? I think there's Ooh. been a little bit of, uh, does that, has that been an issue like it's been in the city because of the outdoor dining? Has anybody heard any stories about that? I, I haven't heard, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> just wondering, because I know like we were just, we were talking about it yesterday on our meeting about what they're trying to do in New York City um, with the trash cans. Where did I hear that? Did we talk about that? They're, they're like, I guess they're getting rid of like, uh, or they're putting these giant trash cans on the street. So everybody ideally will throw their garbage in these giant trash cans to try to, they have like a rat czar now. <laughs> yeah, they have a rat czar. Is it? <laughs> I think out here, we're very good about keeping the sidewalks cleaned after the restaurants close. You know, the restaurants aren't, they're not doing sidewalk dining until midnight. They're basically wrapping it up by the time the sun goes down. It's a different atmosphere than the city yeah. in that way. And the restaurants clean up the sidewalks before they turn in for the night. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have those, um, those little, like, um, you know, in the city, they were building those street side um, eating cabanas. And I think that was a lot of the problem. This is very easy for rats to hide underneath them. And well, well, in the city, I read an article, they, they, there are two distinct um, species of, of rat populations. I don't know if it was East side, West side, or if it was North and, 
and south. But I'm, I'm wondering if we're gonna we're gonna develop the Sag Harbor rat or the you know the West Hampton city rat, country rat. <laughs> Our rats are cute. Yeah. They're all the same breed. They're all Norway. We have, uh, being a waterfront town here, uh, unsurprisingly, Sag Harbor has historically had an issue with uh, with rodents. Um, and, you know, the, the burgeoning, busier restaurants and those restaurants who don't keep their property clean and their dumpsters closed uh, create problems. I can uh, tell you that there has been issues here in Sag Harbor mm. in the past. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Sag Harbor a little bit. I know there's a couple, you know, new restaurants coming in here that have not yet opened, but we're a little curious about, um, you know, um, what is the wine bar that's going in next door to the express building, which will be very convenient. Oh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, this is right up my alley, a little uh, French wine bistro with some, um, you know, moule frites and steak frites. It's, uh, it's going to be great. Uh, but there's also across the street um, where LT Burger used to be is now going to be a Mexican restaurant. Not yet open, right? Not yet open. Yeah. So none of these places have opened yet. Yeah, I actually, it's always a mystery at this time of year, right? Well, you know, and uh, and some uh, a lot of businesses think of Memorial Day as the official opening, and they want they they rush to get open. Um, but a lot of places realize that well, you know, the real start of the season isn't until the end of June when the kids get out of school because um, Memorial Day is like a false opening uh, because as soon as having mm -hmm. been in the restaurant business, uh, as soon as the uh, Memorial Day weekend comes and goes, uh, business just tanks again for the next you know three or four weeks until the kids are off from school. Uh, but uh, I don't think a lot of restaurants feel, well, why am I breaking my neck to try to get open for Memorial Day if I don't really, the business isn't going to be there. So in Sag Harbor, we have uh, the two places that we just mentioned. And then the third mystery is going to be where uh, the uh, dockside uh, had been for many years. Uh, it is um, there's there's been a little confusion about who's going to open it up. I feel and, like um, have come in and then dropped out. So it's yes. changed more than once. So there is the uh, the latest news is that there is a uh, a chef from New York who is a apparently uh, has uh, had a Michelin starred uh, restaurant or a couple of Michelin starred restaurants who's going to open up the restaurant here in Sag Harbor. Uh, we don't know when. Um, I think the latest news that I read, uh, actually it might've been in the Sag Harbor Express, Never heard um, uh, that they're hoping to be open by Memorial Day. And uh, they were committing, I think, to this is interesting, committing to three months, uh, and then it was going to be kind of, well, we'll see how it goes after that. Yeah. Mm. Okay. One of the dirtiest words in our air language is pop-up. Like, how much do we hate the phrase pop-up? Meaning that we're going to come in um, in June, and then we're going to close everything by September because we're only interested in the people that are out here between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Yeah. Right. I hate that term. I just think it's interesting too, because the dock site is such a beloved institution and to go in there with the phrase like, well, we'll see after three months, it's just, you're not going to probably gain a lot of um, fans by right. approaching it as if it's not going to be something you want to continue um, when the rest of us here are still, you know, looking for places to go out 
in October. So. And then there's always those people who like bad lovers promise that they're going to be there and <laughs> in uh, in October and November. Oh, we're going to be here all year I'm round. Don't worry. <laughs> and then poof, they're gone uh, the week after. Uh, and the windows are papered over. And the windows are papered <laughs> over. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sac Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSacHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. Uh, but that's always been an East End thing, right? I mean, if you don't make enough, if you don't make enough money in, in that in that hot summer season, you know, it's 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 tough to get through through the rest of the year, right? To to get to the next summer. It's kind of crazy because, like, for for a long time, you you had to commit to a year round lease. I mean, maybe right. the landlords are sort of the focus of this. Like, they maybe they're the ones who are kind of striking deals. Like, oh, okay, I'll let you rent it from May to October. You know, that that might have been the start of the whole pop up is landlords changing from a year year round lease to a seasonal model on rent. Sure. Well, the landlords charge the same for a seasonal lease than they yeah. do for a year round. Oh, I see. You got to oh, make, oh, you gotta make your money. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a couple frustrating things that I've learned when we think about like, well, why can't we fill up these storefronts in the winter? You know, if they have a summer pop up. Why don't they rent it out in the winter? And you've seen things like in Southampton Village where the mayors tried to mandate that businesses put art up in the windows when they're closed and that you can't just have like white paper or glass looking into a place that looks like a, a scene out of an apocalypse movie because everybody ran out with everything and didn't sweep up at the end of September. So the thought is, well, why can't we have winter pop-ups? Why can't that landlord rent out that building for a very cheap rate to some small local business that's gonna to cater to the local community during the off season. Maybe it's a gallery that wants to do an off season show and not have to pay summer rates, which sounds nice. And it sounds like it would create a lot of opportunities for the people who live here year round and can't afford those Memorial Day to Labor Day rates. The landlords don't wanna do it. Mm. They put somebody in that building for a very cheap rate. Yes, they're making a little bit of money, but they're running the risk that that tenant is not going to vacate in time for their summer tenant to come in. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the summer tenant's going to want to come in and look at the building and see if they like the space and they're not going to like it if somebody's already in there. And also there's wear and tear. If you have a business that comes in for eight months and puts wear and tear into the building and they're not paying you nearly as much as the summer business paid you, now you're cleaning up wear and tear twice a year instead of once a year in order to turn that pop up over to the next business and you're not raking in a lot of money for your trouble. I guess it's sort of the same model of people that don't want to do winter rentals. They would rather keep their homes empty and then just get a, a more lucrative summer rental and not have to deal with heating the place in the winter and 
the headaches and headaches and hassles. Yeah. So do we have a lot of the same, like on Sac Harbor, are there stores that do that? I mean, does it, do, do we get those? We don't seem to get that, no. that closing down. It's, uh, and I was going to ask uh, this as a general question here. Uh, Sag Harbor, I think uh, we've been pretty lucky here. There are very few storefronts, if any, that are uh, closed at any time during the year. It's, it's unusual to see that. Uh, and I know that um, other towns, it hasn't been uh, that way, that, uh, you know, come uh, the end of the season, uh, uh, doors are locked and uh, and paper goes up on the windows. Um, are you seeing, uh, and, I, I, and I remember driving through, and I want to pick on Southampton, but I remember driving through Southampton at one point and seeing a dozen or more empty storefronts. Um, do you see a big turnover? Uh, of businesses in, say, Southampton, West Hampton, Hampton Bays, East Hampton at all? I, I, I think you, you definitely see that in, in Southampton. I think you used to see some of that in West Hampton Beach, probably um, probably not as much now, although I think there are some, um, you know, some shops that, that, that kind of close up. But I think the ones that close up, they close up for a few months, but but they're, they're more... Um, I want to say permanent, um, you know, tenants that, you know, they're just, they're locking their door, um, but they're not going anyway. They're not, they're not in Southampton. I think you see some businesses that, that have kind of, you know, jumped around a little bit or, or, or they just leave completely. I think East Hampton village is kind of the same way. Right. Well, the thing about East Hampton, it, I, I mean, I'm just trying to think of, uh, it seems to me in East Hampton, it's just, you know, there is a lot of papered over windows, but they're papered over windows um, like with Fendi or, you know, these really high end designers. So it's not like it's an empty storefront in search of a tenant. It's a really high end storefront that just decided not to operate in the winter, but they still right. have. Or you might go from like, you know, like a, a Tiffany's to a, you know, some other really high end store. Um, so it's 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 yeah, they do shut down, but they don't tend to leave and, and give up their right. press if that makes sense like one high-end designer after another you know moving in and hanging out there do you find and this is a question maybe uh, an annette that there is um uh, a greater effort to push the opening of the season further forward uh, and by the same token uh, extend the season further later is there more in terms of programming or more um, activity uh, I think everybody, it feels like everybody always gets caught by surprise how quickly Memorial Day is approaching. So yeah. uh, no, I think that the the arts organizations tend to know West Hampton Beach Performing Arts Center, um, the Suffolk Theater in Riverhead, you know, they have their he heavy hitter performers that definitely, you know, come mostly in July and August. That's right. The, that's the sweet spot for them. West West Hampton Beach, I will say though, and not not for arts organizations, but the businesses and the, the Chamber of Commerce, I think have really tried to adopt the the shoulder seasons. Um, they do, you know, a couple big sidewalk sales in um, in the fall. They just, I think it was um, two weeks ago or, or or so, they did a um, uh, a spring a spring festival, which I think was the first time they've done that um, on Main Street, and um, it had. Um, had a lot of vendors. I, I wasn't there, but they had a, had a lot of vendors, including I think the Express News Group had a table there and um, and and all that. So I think the the businesses and I give the Chamber of Commerce credit for that have um, 
have tried to extend extend that season a bit. And again, it's, it's some of that effort is is to be that destination to have an event on a, on a weekend on a on a Saturday or whatever, and try to draw people in from from other areas to uh, um, to visit the local shops. Yeah, and Sac Harbor has the the great uh, the Great American Music Festival in September, right. and then you also have East Hampton. They just did their um, crime and mystery weekend that um, they had all those crime and authors, and they did mm. you know like sleuthing things. And um, so I think, I think that's, that's really cool. That's a neat idea. Yeah, so I feel like there is you know a little bit more awareness, especially in East Hampton, of trying to create some of these events that are really driven more toward. Um, the shoulder season and well, it, it goes it goes back to you know to to i think the the, the whole area has kind of changed a bit over the last couple of decades right where it was it was you had your core you had your core year rounders and then everybody else was um you know was 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 tourists coming out for the summer but i think you've had um you know such an influx of people um buying you know buying whether it's a second you know, what even if it's a second home spending a lot more time in that second home not renting i guess is is the point so if you've got that second home then you might be coming out for a couple weeks you know uh, or a couple weekends you know each month in the fall and and you know in early spring and and all that and so it's kind of a changing demographic a little bit i think i think conversely the rentals too it's you don't get the renters coming out necessarily from Memorial Day to Labor Day anymore. Like you might only get a renter for a week or two weeks. They're mm -hmm. doing much more. So instead of having like a very um, engaged summer population that's here from May to September, and then they go home, you're getting, I think, more people dropping in and out um, in we, the height of the season. We talked about that at one of the express sessions uh, a year or so ago. Uh, that um, uh, Main Street businesses were uh, concerned about the impact that uh, Airbnb and VRBO were having on the area because of what you just said. It used to be that um, oh, uh, you would uh, rent a house for the month of June or July or August or the entire summer, Memorial Day, Labor Day. But because it has become so much uh, easier to uh, rent for a short period of time, those options didn't really mm -hmm. exist uh, prior to Airbnb. And that has uh, affected, say, the hardware store. If you were renting, if you were renting your house for July and August, well, I'm going to go to the hardware store. And I got to, you know, maybe I'll buy a, you know, a garbage, you know, garbage can or uh, or something, stuff that I need for the house. Now you're, you know, you're, you're renting a house for a week. Uh, well, I'm not going to invest any, I'm not going to spend any money to like, you know, put stuff into the house. It's not like I'm living right. there. I'm yeah. staying for a week. Maybe there's less, a less care of uh, or interest in the, in yeah. the area and even the house that they're in. Yes. And, uh, I know there were a couple of businesses that, uh, I remember Laura Grenning mentioning that, I think, and a couple of other people who, on main street, uh, who had that concern. They noticed that it was noticeable that there was less of a, um, a commitment to the, uh, the village the area. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Uh, one of the questions I had here is I, back in the uh, in the day, back in the 60s, Seg Harbor created this um, Whalers Festival, uh, and uh, it was largely to build up business early in the season to attract people out here earlier. Uh, nowadays, we have our Harbor Fest uh, in September, but it used to be um, in uh, in June. 
And it was an event to really kind of signal to try to get people out here uh, earlier. Uh, in the other communities uh, west of here or, or even in East Hampton, is there an event like that that kind of really kicks off the season for West Hampton or Hampton Bays or or South Hampton? Anything like that that is so dominant that it's like the official event of the season? Maybe St. Patrick's Day parades um, to to an extent, although I think that's a very maybe that's a more of a very local event for for locals. But it seemed like it seemed like that was always okay. You know, it's March, but it, it just it maybe signals more the signals more the end of of winter and the impending comer, but coming of of spring. But no, I I think that's part of Sag Harbor's charm is is you've got those those weekend festivals like that 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 really highlight um, you know that small village uh, that small village ambiance. I I guess that um, that that I I find so you know. Um, charming again and fascinating. I, I don't know that you see that other other places. Southampton Village has Southampton Fest, which when it was originally conceived, it was called September Fest, and the idea was to build on the shoulder season. Let's give it an let's give it an extra weekend when the businesses can stay open and visitors will come out. And they actually had to change the name to Southampton Fest because the shoulder season kind of just evolved on its own into having this busy September, you know, mm -hmm. September's still summer for most of the month. And it's very yep. nice. And people caught on on their own that they could come out to Southampton on the weekend in September and have a good time. So they pushed the event into October. Eventually uh, it, it creeped on back to starting September 30th in, in 2022, but that's an event that's been going on for, you know, give or take a decade now. And, and and while I think while it's a it's a great fun event, it certainly brings some people into the village. It doesn't have that same charm as as you know as as some of the Sag Harbor. I'm thinking of the music festival, but I'm all you know. I I think the the Harbor Fest and it's just the Harbor Fest just seems so iconic to me to to right. to the village of Sag Harbor and and. No, it helps when you can have whaleboat races like right at the foot of Main <laughs> Street, you know. Yes, they could do that in Agua Park. They did. Uh, Southampton, <laughs> Southampton uh, for their fire department muster every year, used to borrow our whale boats, mm. and they had whale boat racing in Agawam Park. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, in yeah. the lake, not in the park. So. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I imagine that with all the uh, toxic algae blooms that happen, um, that's not a recommended activity. <laughs> you wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to go overboard. No. Oh, come on, Brenda. Let's have some fun. <laughs> you know, it, one of the things that separates Southampton Village from Sag Harbor is I doubt you're ever going to see a music festival on the streets in Southampton Village the way that you would see it in Montauk or the way that you would see it in Sag Harbor. Mm -hmm. Even when they do have outdoor music, like they get complaints. Yeah. There's oh, like, okay. hey, there, there's amplified music on the sidewalk on Job's Lane. And it's like, yeah. There's a yeah. festival going on. And if I could hear it from my house, I'm like, okay. Yeah. And you don't even have to yeah. pay for that. Yes. Oh my gosh. So uh, Brian, I think since you're putting together the summer book, I thought maybe, you know, you've got the first glimpse of what'll be coming out in a couple of weeks on the newsstand. What are you seeing in, in there? Does that ever give you any kind of 
um, hint at the season to come? Well, uh, we have, uh, uh, other than the calendar, no. Uh, I mean, that's <laughs> so. That's why I wondered uh, earlier about uh, uh, about programming and uh, arts organizations here doing more. Uh, because I mean, certainly, so this is the thirty fifth year of me in this building uh, and kind of watching summer approach and. Uh, we talked about traffic and my perch here is I get to look out over the harbor. I can get to see the boat start to come in. Um, but one of the things that uh, I was struck by was uh, how much program there seems to be early on. And mm -hmm. I can tell you that certainly 35 years ago, you never saw this kind of activity. You know, uh, most arts organizations, well, for one thing, Bay Street Theater wasn't even here 35 years ago. Uh, you didn't have the number of arts organizations, I don't think. Yeah, we have uh, the we have the church, April um, Gordick yeah. and Eric Fischel's new spot, and they're doing a lot. Yeah. And then you have the Stack Harbor Cinema that seems like every weekend it's got a special themed yep. film series. Yeah. Um, those two, uh, those two uh in particular in the past mm -hmm. five years or whatever have uh have really changed the dynamic here in Sag Harbor. It's uh and um, maybe Sag Harbor is different uh, than, say, Southampton or, or certainly how West Hampton Beach used to be, um, that it became uh, earlier, I think, much more of a year round uh, town. You had mm -hmm. uh, people moving in here. So the um, the sense of the shoulder seasons here have really become less defined. defined. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what we're, what I, so a couple of stories that are in the summer book this year that, uh, I, I really like a lot, uh, and kind of very speak to the season. One is, um, Kaylin Riley has a piece in there that we're, uh, we're looking at right now, uh, uh, of young surfers mm -hmm. and, you know, certain youth about, um, uh, the season you think about guys getting in the water, guys and girls. And so Kalen has a piece in there about three young longboarders who are really making a name for themselves, uh, not just locally, but on the uh, uh, on the global surf scene. Uh, the guy that um, she's just been chasing down to get photographs for is competing in Mexico right now. And he's a, um, a high school senior, I think, from um uh, he's either from Montauk or, or Quag. I can't remember which. Uh, but these young stars are performing on really on a global stage. It's it's really fascinating. It's great to see them. And then the other story I liked a lot was this piece that Chris Paparo put together. Chris Paparo is the better known as the fish guy. Uh, and uh, if you uh, follow him on Facebook, uh, he's... Um, he gets himself into great positions to take astounding photographs. He shot the cover photo for us last year of the whale breaching just off of the uh, off the shore of, uh, of the Did, beach in South. I Hampton. think we had him on the podcast to talk about our yes, shark. Yes, absolutely. Remember? Oh, okay. yeah, a couple yes. of years ago. Uh, and he's got a piece in it uh, about the tropical visitors, and so just offshore, especially in the warmer months when the Gulf Stream comes closer to the eastern seaboard, uh, it brings with it um, uh, all sorts of interesting tropical visitors. Things that you might normally see in the Caribbean uh, are now 
swimming around out here just uh you know a mile offshore uh so it's so, uh, some summer visitors are showing up early yeah well exactly <laughs> Uh, so, so there are a couple of things, uh, other signs of the summer season. <laughs> One is that the uh, the Gulf Stream moves closer, and we start getting tropical visitors. And then, of course, if uh, if this year plays out like the uh, past couple of years have, we should start seeing um, whales mm. again mm -hmm. uh, offshore. I know that Adam uh, is, is is he out fishing yet? Oh yeah. Uh, and so we'll probably get an early report of whales from uh, from Adam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so stay tuned. Yeah, possible. Oh, shark dive. Mentioning uh, uh, so, uh, yes, Chris Paparo, I guess, was a guest on the um, uh, couple years ago. Shark. So there are two shark stories uh, in uh, the summer book uh, this year. Two stories related to sharks. One um, is uh, kind of again. Kaylin Riley has a piece in there about uh, the SOFO uh, and. Stony Brook University shark tagging wow. program, uh, which is uh, fascinating. Uh, they've been doing this for a couple of years now and monitoring primarily great white sharks, but also other species of sharks to really get a, a greater. And you can you can go online to their website and, and actually track the sharks. I mean, you can you can see where they're where they're going and how they're migrating and and all that just really kind of neat thing to do. Yeah. So are they tracking species other than great whites? Now? Yes. Yeah. They uh, tiger sharks and dusky shark. Um, and they're tracking them right off the coast here. Well, Is so what, one of the graphics they have um, uh, shows they they tagged uh, seven uh, great whites. And uh, there's a, a graphic that accompanies the story. And it shows um, the depths that they go down to and the proximity to the coast. And there are a number of them that clearly like to hang out uh, very close to the mm. beach, almost disturbingly close <laughs> to the beach. Uh, and you see how uh, how how much time these sharks spend here. Uh, and a lot of it's when the water's warmer in, in the summertime. Uh, and then the other shark story is uh, we launched uh, reporter Desiree Keegan into the shark tank uh, at uh, the the uh, Long Island Aquarium oh. in Riverhead uh, to spend some time with um, some of the top predators that uh, are down there. And she uh, reports on uh, what she got to experience wow. there and how thrilled it was, actually. They're well fed, those sharks, though. Yes, so yeah. I think yeah. that that's still, kind of still better her than me. <laughs> saying that we have a, a great white shark nursery off the coast of um, Long Island here. So that might be why you're seeing um, the great whites kind of hanging out. I imagine if they're young sharks, they might become in a little bit, you know, they're maybe they're, they like coming in closer because they're young. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But he did say the thing that I thought was interesting. He said when great white sharks are born, they come out and they swim in opposite directions. Otherwise the, the mother would eat the baby. So it's really important that they just separate, separated at mm. birth. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, they're not particularly nurturing. I guess. <laughs> there, there's a Long Island summer story there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a bee tree murder mystery. <laughs> oh, there we go. So, yeah, that's all you can tell when the season's coming. I start getting pitches for all sorts of like bee trees. It seems like everybody's got one, and they all want me to do a story on it. 
Hi, this is Ellen DiOgardi. I'm the director of events for the Express News Group. I'm also the president of the Sag Harbor Chamber of Commerce. Community really matters to all of us at this company. I know it's a good part of why I'm here. We've hosted more than 50 of our Express Sessions events in Southampton, East Hampton, and Sag Harbor, focusing on issues that matter most to residents of the East End. We bring the most important government and community leaders and topic experts together in one room, and we often find answers to complicated questions, and we grow stronger together. This all takes staff time and company resources, but it's our job, and I'm happy to say we really love our work. But we can't do it without our subscribers. If this kind of community work is important to you, you can support it by becoming a subscriber. To subscribe, visit 27east.com slash subscribe, and thank you. So how do you know in the newspaper business uh, that the uh, summer is uh, upon you? What are what are the... Um, Traffic. The traffic. traffic. When the traffic starts, summer's here. And, and traffic started a month ago on, on certain days of the week. And, and I've certainly noticed it coming, driving in from, from Riverhead. Uh, Mondays are, are usually okay. Tuesdays and Wednesdays are just really bad because people are getting houses ready for, for the weekend. I think you've got a lot of that trade parade, a lot of a lot of contractors and I'm not, I don't, I'm not one to often complain about the traffic. It just feels like it's part of life here. But I think with, with the traffic comes frustrations and, and accidents and um, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And um, I, for, for me, it, 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 it just, it shows the, the, the dichotomy, I guess, of, of the East end you've got, you know, you've got the worker bees, you know, putting up with this traffic, every day to get out and, and service the, the, the other people who are, you know, are coming out to en enjoy the area and, um, you know, and, and um, visit the, you know, the restaurants and, and stores and all that. But it just, to me, that just shows that the, the two, the two worlds in, in some way. So any word on um, the speaking of transportation, I know, you know, we had the commuter connection and what's um, the latest on that. And, and there was always some debate about whether they could run the um, the commuter trains for those who live locally back a little bit to the West because of the cannonball coming out from Manhattan um, certain days of the week. So what's the latest on um, on the ability to take a train um, on the East end to, to commute? There will be more Friday trains this year. They were able to accommodate the commuter connection on Fridays, which is going to be a big deal because it, you know, if somebody tries to get a Monday through Friday job over the summer and they have to tell their boss, like, I don't have the means to get into work on Friday because I don't own a car, you know, that that is really limiting. So by yeah. expanding the, the commuter connection to Friday, I think that's going to make a big difference. Yeah. I wonder if people do that. You know, are there a lot of people that are picking up jobs out by us with who don't have cars and are able to rely totally on the train for that? I think it was a problem when you couldn't guarantee your boss that you could show up five days a week. But now that they can, you're going to see a lot more opportunity for that. So how did they figure that out? Is it just a matter of, of, of timing and um, rescheduling a couple trains here and there? Right. It, it, the attitude had been that if the commuter connection had to go by the wayside to accommodate the cannonball and, and the schedule for everything else on the Montauk line, then so be it. And after some lobbying of the MTA, they came around to saying like, well, we could actually make this work. That's good. Fred, Fred Dale's a big champion of that, I think. And he's really pushing to see that, um, to see that grow. 
I also suspect that given Long Island Railroad's um, business model, they've probably seen an incredible drop off in ridership and, and money coming in because so few people are commuting five days a week back into Manhattan. So maybe they're finally getting a little bit more open to trying to figure out how to beef up other lines and other service in order to supplement the fact that very few people are working five days a week in Manhattan anymore. Hmm. That's my theory. That's interesting. I don't, I don't know. I also wonder, um, so the, the state is really pushing um, all, all over the state. Um, Kathy Hochul and state officials are, are pushing as, as part of their, um, you know, affordable housing programs, these, these rail centered um, communities. Um, and, and you see a lot of that up island, but I wonder if there's pressure because of that. And I'm just hypothesizing here that because of, you know, that, that there might be pressure to, to increase some of the rail service to, you know, to communities as with the anticipation that some of these housing projects might pop up. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, we don't really have out here a lot of uh, development no. by railroad stations for housing, right? It's Bianc. Yeah, that's where they built the affordable housing mm -hmm. project in, in Spiank. There's the the train station right right there. It's walkable distance. There you go. Um, and and there's and there seems to be a lot more a lot more trains out of out of Spiank than um, than points east. Mm-hmm. All right, to start. Yeah. All right, get on the train. So have a good weekend, everyone. Good. Yeah, you guys too. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.